there. I'm so glad you're here. If you're still coming in, come on in. If you're left over from the last uh, uh, session that was here, then uh, we're glad you're here too. Buckle up your seatbelt and and let's go. Um, we're talking about the book of Revelation. And I've been teaching in this church for well over a decade and I don't think I've ever taught the book of Revelation in this church. Um, I've got the liberty and freedom to do it. Thank you, Pastor David and Pastor Stephen. Um, though I will readily tell you from the outset that I may not ascribe to the same views that 95% of you do about the book. But that's okay. Because as David said this morning, Jesus wins. And that part I agree with 100%. And the rest of it is stuff that, that's just some details here and there, maybe, maybe a little different approach, but you won't even notice it as I teach through the class because of the way we're going about doing this. So I'm very excited to get to teach and I'm excited to get to visit with you about it. Uh, uh, some Sundays uh, I'm not as able to be down close and answer questions and talk to people afterwards. This is one of those Sundays where I'm going to have to leave fairly soon, but but I'm very emailable and don't hesitate to email me. Now, having said that, I triage my emails. So it may be, unless you say like, I'm committing suicide in an hour, it may be the kind of email that I don't get to for a few days. But don't hesitate to email me and I'm glad to talk to you about this in the process. So here we are, we're gonna look at the book of Revelation and I like to think of Revelation as kind of a box of goods. I've got my friend Tim Wilson here this morning. He found out I was going to teach on Revelation. He packed up his daughter Georgie. They drove in probably about 10 hours uh, from up uh, Brenham Way to come in for this class. Tim's one of the ones who said to me one time, he says, you know, I got to tell you the truth. First time I read the book of Revelation, I was afraid to leave the house. And I said, uh, yeah, it can, it can have that effect on you. I mean, it's an unusual book. It's a book that's got the, these horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse that are coming. And you read about them and they're quite frightful people. And if that's not enough, you got this scroll that's got seven seals that have to be opened. And there's a big question about who's going to open the scroll. You got dragon in, uh, uh, Revelation, Leviathan, a dragon. You've got, uh, a beast in Revelation. You've got these seven shofar trumpets that are going to be sounded. You've got seven bowls of wrath. And then you've got all of these numbers that just come all over the place. And you can't just read them and not know that something weird is happening in the book. So, one of the goals of this book is to try to unlock the box. See, the book is not written like a normal book you and I would read. It's written with multiple layers of blessings, however. And so David, for example, this morning, and we'll look at it in a moment, said, blessed is the one who reads this and the ones who hear and do what's in this book. This was a book that was originally written with the idea that in churches, someone would stand up and read it. And what that means is there is a blessing and a level of understanding that we should have, at least the original audience would have, simply by hearing it. 
And yet there's a whole nother level of understanding that comes through this book through careful study. And that's the way it was with these types of writings, even in the Old Testament, where we come across very similar writings. We'll talk about it in a moment. But they're writings that have, uh, uh, that one can appreciate and, and, and be blessed by simply listening. But they're also writings that are worthy and merit careful study. Because that core message David talked about, Jesus wins, you'll get listening to the book. You'll get it with a cursory read of the book. But there's another multiple sets of ideas and and messages and themes that really start to open if we unlock them. If we take the keys to unlocking Revelation, I want to suggest two of them to you right now that we will be using. One is to consider the type of literature that is represented in the book of Revelation. You can tell by reading, it's not your normal read. Now, when I was in high school, I really got into a type of literature, a genre. It's a genre that would be called sci-fi fantasy, most likely. It was stuff like The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. You, you would even classify the Chronicles of Narnia. The Earth Sea Trilogy by Ursula Le Guin. Um, uh, um, um, any number of books like that that were written in a genre of literature. The same is true for Revelation. Revelation is a type of literature that may seem strange to us. But in the day in which it was written, it was a very normal kind of writing. You see some of this kind of writing in the Old Testament even. But if you step outside of the Bible, you see a ton of it that we still have today that you can read. So, for example, this is an an area of literature that a lot of scholars will call apocalyptic. Say the word, apocalyptic. Apocalyptic means revealing. If you look at Revelation itself, if we look at, um, let's see if we go to the Elmo for just a moment. I've got uh, Revelation chapter 1 up here. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis. We get apocalyptic from it. Apocalyptic comes from that word because the word in the Greek, apocalypsis, means a revealing. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint. So, with apocalyptic literature, we've got the revelation or the apocalypse or the revealing of a number of different people. There were lots of Old Testament names that were associated. So you've got the apocalypse uh, the apocalypse of Abraham, 
You go read it today. We've got a copy at your friendly neighborhood library. The, the Apocalypsis of Abraham is one where it, it fills in some historical details that are made up to fit into the Bible outside of the biblical narrative. And then Abraham gets caught up into heaven and has all these heavenly visions. His earthly stuff's pretty interesting, actually. Um, he uh, uh, has a fight with his dad because his dad's an idol maker. And his dad wants him to make idols. And Abraham decides these idols aren't real. And uh, it's long and drawn out, but it, 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 it's a fascinating read. That's the, you've got apocalypses of a lot of people. There's a book called The Book of the Secrets of Enoch. That's got some very apocalyptic type material in it. So we want to understand the literature type as we read this. Because if we read it thinking it's a 21st century novel, we're going to misunderstand how it was originally written. And when we do that, we run the greatest risk of misapplying it for us today. So the second thing about it is it's very laden with symbolism. And David, Pastor David, made reference to this in his sermon this morning. It's got very intense symbolism within it. And so we've got that uh, 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 to try and understand. Because some of the symbols you don't get so readily. We've got symbols today. And we can talk about symbols today. I really wanted... Texas Tech to win last night. They did not. If they had won, I had a symbol I was really going to use. But I can't because we got whipped. But we have symbols today. They had symbols then. So many of the symbols in the book of Revelation are not hard for us to understand if we look carefully because so many of the symbols come from the Old Testament themselves. It makes the context readings very important. So here's the plan for Revelation. Uh, I sat down with Pastor David, Pastor Stephen, and Pastor Jared. And, and they showed me, uh, uh, and we discussed how they were outlining sermons to cover the end of the year. And I'm going to write the lessons to accompany the sermons. So that you'll actually be getting the text of what's in the sermon. And it, it, it propels itself a little faster. I wanted to do that because Jesus wins and the best part of the win is reading about it at the end of the book. And we don't have Sunday school or life groups the last two Sundays of the year. So we wouldn't get it. We'd end up in, in horrid tribulation. <laughs> if we didn't have a chance to read the end of the book together. So we're going to be following that. That means next Sunday I'm scheduled to teach on Revelation 4 and 5. If you want more intense time of the letters to the churches, come to church here on Wednesday nights. They'll be covered there. All right. So with that, 
I want us to look at the book of Revelation. I want us to look at the literature type. I want us to see that it's apocalyptic. And I want us to see the symbols. Now, the symbols start with numbers. We live in a generation that trains engineers to memorize the quadratic formula. While the rest of us watch. We live in a generation that's numerically intense. I can tell you my driver's license number. I can tell you my social security number. I can tell you my birth date in numbers. I can tell you the birth date of my family in numbers. I can tell you numbers that are GPS coordinates of any place on the earth if I have the benefit of my iPhone. I can tell you phone numbers for lots of people. We live in a numbers society. But it was very, very, very different in ancient times and in biblical times. Georgie made a hundred on her chemistry test. A hundred is a number that tells all of us she's really good at chemistry. That was not a symbolic number. That was a grade. We live in a... a, Now... In ancient days, numbers were different. They're still different. For example, if you live in Israel, you don't have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Your your names of the week are not named after, your days of the week are not named after pagan gods in Israel. By the way, Thursday, the god Thor. These are pagan gods that our our days of the week are named after, okay? In Israel, you have Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, Hay, Vav, Shabbat, Sabbath. Because it's just day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, Sabbath. Day one, day two, day three. That's why you'll still read the New Testament on the first day of the week. The tomb was empty. That's saying Sunday in our language. So you've got numbers that are also corresponding to letters of the alphabet because numbers are just very different for them. So let me give you three numbers that are helpful for us to understand the symbolism of. You've got an appendix to the back of your lesson that expands this more. The number three was a sacred number. It stood for things that are sacred and holy. We can think of it as a spiritual number if we want to be platonic, but, but, but it's, think of it as a sacred or a divine number. So for example, you'll find, uh, it's easy by the way for us Christians to remember that because the Godhead is three persons. But you can get it from other places. Look, for example, at the blessing that Aaron gave or or that Moses gave to the people. Excuse me. In Numbers 6. Ah, There we go. You got it? Automatic focus. And we have it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord 
make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's a threefold blessing. It's a blessing of divine health and wealth. It's a blessing of the sacred nature. And it takes the form of three. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. That's the, that's a good example in the Bible. There are lots more. All right, if we go back to the PowerPoint. So three is a sacred number. You got it? The number four, that's the earthly number. Four is earthly. So uh, how many corners to the earth on this round ball? Four. North, south, east, and west. Four. The four winds, north, south, east, and west. How many elements? Four. To the ancients. So we don't count like plasma and stuff we know about now, okay? Four. They saw air, fire, water, and land, solids, earth. Four was the earthly number. Now, I want to ask you some questions. If you take all things that are divine and sacred and spiritual and you add them to all things that are physical and earthly, what do you have left? Seven, a full number. Because that's everything added together. Or, if you're really good at math, instead of adding everything together, you can multiply all things spiritual with all things physical. All things divine with all things earthly. And you get what number? Twelve. Twelve is another full number. How many apostles? How many tribes of Israel? How many months of the year? How many days of the week? You see, we still live with this concept that was handed down through the ancients. Our calendar itself is based on the idea of seven days of the week, 12 months of the year. These are full numbers. Okay? So, I want us to use this and understand this as we look at Revelation. By the way, that doesn't mean sometimes the numbers aren't also literal. But we need to try and understand when they're which. This also opens up a bunch of other scriptures. Like when Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? Seven means, Peter's asking the right question. Peter said, should I forgive him all the time? Seven, a full number? Should I totally forgive him? And now we understand better Jesus' emphasis. Seventy times seven. How often we forgive. More than total. Total times total to a factor of ten. Jesus was not saying, when he offends you, number 491, cut him down. Okay? Now, this is important for us as we read the book of Revelation, as we read the Bible. We should not be taking this out on the streets. 
it is not good for us to just be able to say, hey, you mean you were literal on that speed sign? I just thought it meant drive as fully as I wanted to. No, that, that will not work there. So now here's what I want to do. I want to look for a moment at Revelation chapter 1. And I want us to see how this opens up some of what David's already spoken of. We will add in some Old Testament things to give it greater context as we go along. All right? So we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. I'm not going to repeat what David said this morning. If you missed his sermon, it's a good one. Um, uh, these would be really helpful if you come to the class. You might want to hit the sermons ahead of time on this series in particular. It's, it's especially helpful. Um, so, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all that he saw. Who bore witness, and you'd see it cleaner in the Greek, to the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And to all that he saw. Three. There's something divine about what's going to be spoken of here. There's something divine we don't want to miss. See, we've already got that three plug. If you're reading it in the Greek or hearing it in the Greek, it's even easier to pick up because it's got kai-ho, 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 and the, and the, and the. So you got to kind of get it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and keep it, what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, this is a blessing. What are blessings called in the Bible sometimes? You know, you've got them in uh, Matthew 6. Can you all still read it if I keep it there? Yeah, that's big enough, isn't it? All right. A yes, a beatitude. Thank you. There are beatitudes in Matthew and in Luke where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives them. There are also beatitudes. It was a type of expression in Revelation. Guess how many in the entire book of Revelation if you add all the beatitudes together? Seven. Seven. A complete set of beatitudes in Revelation. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, as David pointed out earlier, there are more than seven churches in Asia at this point in time. Lots more. But seven, this is written to seven specific churches that we read about in chapters 2 and 3. But the idea of singling out seven is an indication seven means... All or complete. This is for all churches. This is something that's for everyone. Everyone's to read this. Everyone's to be blessed by this. Grace to you and peace from him who is 
and who was and who is to come. What's that? Three. Boy, it reads really clear in the Greek. The divine one. Blessed is the divine one. By the way, you don't just get that in the Greek here. If you got your um, uh, uh, Old Testament and you read the context Bible support, you'll see the same approaches in some of the passages there. In the interest of time, I won't throw them up. You can read them. I've referenced them also in your lesson. Go back, see if you can find them. But the one who is, who was, who is to come. And it's so clear in the Greek that that listening to it, you would get blessed by a recognition of that three. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, this is the fun part of studying this stuff, okay? So look at what it says. This is from grace and peace to you from one. The one who is, uh-oh, let's scoot this. Okay, we got we to gotta make room here. If you're losing track and not able to see this as well, sorry. I actually thought this would help, and I may be wrong. Who is, was, and is to come. So you've got three elements there, right? Boom, boom, boom. But it's also not just from that. It's from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And it's not just from the seven spirits. It's from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead. And Jesus Christ is the faithful witness... The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings. How many descriptions of Jesus? Three. This is from three. This is from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Father described as fully divine with three. Son described as fully divine with three. And spirit defined as fully divine, seven. You starting to pick some of this up? Okay. I mean, this just gets better. Uh-huh. Look. So, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father... To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. All tribes on earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, was, is to come. One, two, three. The Almighty, whoops, two, two, can't write, but I can count. One, two, three, the Almighty. And the Greek sets out the one who is, the one who is, the one who is, the Almighty. 
Puts them in, in quotes. By the way, these are Old Testament concepts. The Alpha and Omega, obviously Old Testament Hebrew, they don't do it that way. But you had Isaiah 41 as one of your readings. Where it talks about, I, Yahweh, the first, the last, I am He. And there's another reference in there that, that He is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And so we've got this and He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. So keep that in your brain. We'll come right back to it. I got to be careful time-wise. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to those seven churches. I turned to see the voice speaking. I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, a lampstand is... That's a pretty sorry excuse. But a lampstand would tip some of them, I should say, not typically, would have seven holders on it. And there would be seven lamps on the seven holders. So this is the lampstand... And these are different words in the Greek. Lampstand is a luknia, and the lamps are luknos. They're lamps. And that's important for us to understand here. In the, the reason why is because if you're an Old Testament person trying to understand some of this, you might read in the context Bible, Zechariah chapter 4, where an angel talks with Zechariah, wakes him up out of his sleep and says, what do you see? Zechariah says, a lampstand, Lucnia, all of gold with a bowl, a Lucnos on top of it, and seven lamps, seven Lucnos on the Lucnia, seven lamps on the lampstand. And as you get to this, and by the way, uh, that seven lamps is very important in Zechariah for what seven means. But as you get to it, Zechariah wants to know what these are, and he's told, No, no, says to me, this is the word of the Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. The seven lamps are the seven eyes of the Lord. They're the spirit of the Lord, which reigns throughout the whole earth. Now, the lampstand, as David pointed out this morning, is the church. We know that because we're told at the bottom of Revelation 1... The seven lampstands are the seven churches. But it's important that we also know that the lamps on the lampstand, the bowls of the Spirit of God, which shines forth from the churches into the world. In the midst of the lampstands is one like a son of man. He's got a long robe, a golden sash around his chest. Hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. Eyes like flame of fire, feet bronze, refined in a service, furnace, voice, roar of many waters. He's got seven stars from his hand uh, and, and from his mouth, a two-edged sword. His face is like the sun. Now, if you're reading your context Bible, you know about Daniel chapter 7. Daniel looks and thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
his clothing white as snow, his hair of the hair of his head like pure wool, thrown fiery flames, wheels burning fire. The thousands and ten thousands sit before him and worship him. We'll have this repeated in Revelation 4 and 5. And the words the horn was speaking are there. And then look, coming with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom one that will not be destroyed. That is the one that we, that John saw. This is the one, but it's both descriptions of God the Father, the Ancient of Days, as well as of Jesus. He comes with the clouds, and here he is. So when uh, 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 John sees him, John falls at his feet as though dead. He lays his hand and says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and I'm alive every more, and I have the keys of death in Hades. By the way, if you read it in the Greek... It, these are set apart in the Greek. It's the I am the first and the last. And then it says, ego me, I am the living one. And then it says, ego me, I am the one who died and lives again. So you've got a one, two, three there again. Write these things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand, they're the seven golden lampstands. The seven star, or that you saw on my right hand, and the lampstands, excuse me. The stars are the angels of the churches. The lampstands are the churches. And that's what you've got. And it's a marvelous start to this. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint, the seven churches that this is written to, if we put them up on a map, they're real churches, and they're actually in the delivery route you'd take on the Roman road. They're in the order that it would be, the letter would be handed out. So John's writing from Patmos. And if you stand on Patmos, you can actually see the coast of Turkey. You can see where the ruins, where the ruins of Ephesus are today, but, but you would have been able to see the area of Ephesus and all. Ephesus is the first city. And so you've got Ephesus. And then the second church is at Smyrna. And you follow the Roman road on up to the north. That red thing is the Roman roads, the main roads. And you hit Pergamum. Then you go back to the south. East, you have to detour a little bit to hit Thyatira, and then you've got Sardis back on the main road, you've got Philadelphia back on the main road, and then you dip down onto a side road to get to Laodicea. And those are the order of the churches, and that's why they're put in that order. So if you want to try and read the seven churches for any mystical order, eh, that's just the order for the postman, okay? Now, in these letters, you've got some tremendous things that are said. And the letters, as I said, will be dealt with in greater detail. But I want to tell you one of the things that's important to me in these letters is each one has encouragement for the church, with maybe one exception, but each one is encouraging and also trying to guide and direct. God has great care and concern about his people. God does not save us and leave us adrift in an ocean. He calls us into community and he calls us into a place where we serve together and we worship together 
and we serve together and we worship together. And the challenge for all of us is to find where we fit into that.